Praise God. Praise God. I want to welcome everybody who's tuning in online. Please uh, say hello. Put some comments in the chat box, but we love that you're tuning in, that you're connecting with the Lord and with us. So we're going to continue our message, our messages on the story of Israel. Today we're going to get into a very briefly, but we're going to start this massive, massively important story of Joseph. So we're going to focus on the person of Joseph, but I want to kind of by way of review and to try to really catch the flow of what the Spirit of God is, is up to in our lives, what he's trying to renew, to get our attention, to bring focus to, to help us align our spirits, our souls, our bodies, our time and our places and our spaces with him. So this story is going to help us, just like all these stories are going to help us reorient ourselves with reality. This is God's word and God gives it to us in story form because it's so dynamic. It goes beyond precepts. It goes beyond principles. It goes beyond law. And it touches the very heart of God and the, our hearts. And that's what we're about here as we just humble our hearts and surrender our hearts to the Holy Spirit that's in this room where two or more are gathered in his name. That's us. There he is in the midst of us, in the midst of us corporately, in the midst of us individually. So we want to focus our attention on this massively huge story in the book of Genesis. It's one-third of the book of Genesis. So just the proportion of this story should say there's something very significant and there's no way that any one person I, I mean I owe so much to the theologians and the commentaries and the things that I've read and studied over the years but God's spirit is the great teacher and the God's spirit is always current he's always leading us into the next phase of our life the next step. He, he knows what's coming for you tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, in five years, 10 years, 20 years. He's the only one that can lead us. There's no law. There's no principle. There's no precept that can lead us like the person of the Holy Spirit. It's personal. That's what makes the gospel powerful is its personal nature and the personal reality of God. That God is not just a force. He is a person. And he comes and he speaks to us. So there's such a precious treasure when God speaks to us. You know, one word, one word from God 
changes everything. You've, you've maybe heard that phrase before, but I want to just pause and think about that deeply. One word from God changes everything. Has God spoken to you even, even in these last few messages and services? What, what is God? It's, it's precious when God speaks to us. And we're going to get into this as we meditate on this story, as I've been doing for, for weeks now, so it's I'm kind of, I was asking Brian to pray for me before the service just so that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide and direct what needs to be said. But the preciousness of God speaking to our hearts, may that never become old or expected in the sense of, of just taking, taking it for granted there's a powerful reason why it's precious that God speaks to us. But let me, let me just uh, begin with, uh, let's begin with the end of the story. That's an odd way to do it, and it's kind of a, you know, kills the, um, what's it, what, what, what do they call that? Uh, uh, um, uh, yeah. hmm? Spoiler. A spoiler, spoiler alert, that's it. Genesis 50, verse 18 through 21. I'm going to give you the whole, whole the, the spoiler alert right up front. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, there is a lot of water under the bridge here. And this is the end of the story. But what a beautiful phrase, isn't it? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. It brings such meaning to Romans chapter 8 that God can work all things together for the good. Do we dare to believe that? Do we dare to receive the grace of God's goodness and creative power and redemptive power. It's one thing to see God as creator of all things, just like we sang this song that progressively led us into this song of redemption. It's one thing for creation. It's another thing for redemption. How does God make all things work together for the good? Only God, only God, only God can do that. But now I want to go back to the beginning of the story. And I encourage you, and hopefully this has inspired you to get into the book of Genesis and, and read and meditate and think about 
this has been a big part of why I felt that, like the Holy Spirit wanted me to do this series so that it would prime us and prompt us and encourage us to read our Bibles, to get into God's Word. But this is Genesis 37, so I encourage you to go ahead and read these chapters from 37 through 50. And it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Now, this is one way that I was taught to structure and get a thought flow of the book of Genesis. And anytime it says, these are the generations of Jacob, well, we could go all the way back to Genesis uh, at the, in, in the creation story. These are, this is the generation of creation and of Adam of Noah, and we keep going Abraham all the way through. And you can actually structure your study of the book of Genesis in that way. But enough said about that. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of, any of the other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But, but, but let me just stop here. Ho hopefully the things we've talked about inform you in this one, one little sentence that Israel loved Joseph more than any of the others, the kind of dysfunction that we have been dealing with throughout these stories. Remember how we talked about Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There was this favoritism going on. I wonder, it makes me wonder if Jacob ever felt loved from his father. Have any of us been deprived of the love of a father? And how it shapes us and how it breaks us and how it puts us on a pursuit. Was that the reason why Jacob functioned the way he did in deception and the things that he did because he was lacking the love of a father? I mean, the, 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 these are the things that the Holy Spirit can speak to us about through his word as we meditate on this story. Where do we get identity? Where do we receive identity? How are we trying to prove ourselves, prove our existence, Prove our worth. Is it born from an earthly father or is it born from a heavenly father? But when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably, peaceably to him. Again, there's so many things that go off in my heart and mind, and I'm sure yours as well. 
here's here's a family, a family that's that's in the lineage of redemption. And there's hatred between brothers. If you remember, Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And now we find in this generation, his brothers have got issues with, with Joseph. Now Joseph had a dream, verse 5, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Now this isn't like, you know, this, this takes a little bit of meditation, a little bit of thought. Like this, this is crazy, crazy dysfunction. But this is where God is revealed, glorified more than anything else. Remember the scripture we read, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Now we, we see the fulfillment of that in, in chapter 50. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you in, uh, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now, if you if we take Joseph's life, we can separate it into two sections. One is the first section is Joseph's suffering. The second is Joseph's ruling and reigning. There's two sections of Joseph's life. Sometimes this, can, this story can be told incompletely, prison to the palace. And, and we fail to realize that there was a pathway that Joseph had to be led. In Psalm 105, I encourage you to read that psalm. It, it, it kind of maps out the whole story of the glorious workings of God. But it said how Joseph was tested by God's promise with fetters of iron and bruising his feet and his neck. I mean, it, c can you imagine? I mean, I'm projecting into the story here. Many of you know the story. Many of you guys online know the story. What his brothers are going to do to him. But I kind of want to pause here. and But I want you to keep that in mind. There's this, yes, it's prison to the palace, but it's suffering and testing before there's ruling and reigning. I want to I just pause here and... We'll, we'll make reference to the story that we've started here. But these three words, if, if you're looking for thought flow and you're, if you're looking for structure for the book of Genesis, one of the things that I've seen is this pattern of promise and blessing and a call to faith. Promise and blessing and a call to faith. What, what happened in 
in the garden? What happened in the beginning? Well, God promised, let us make man in our own image. That is the ultimate promise. It's what God's truly after. And it's given to every one of us by grace. Not by our workings, not by our ability, but by the grace of God. He gives us promise. And then he gives us this blessing. God blessed Adam and Eve. He said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. There's this blessing for that to happen. What, what an amazing reality. But God called Adam and Eve to walk by faith. Now, we have a culture that skews the idea of faith. That, that truly takes it out of the context of the way God has given it to us. Faith has to do with trust and loyalty. It has nothing to do with, with an absence of evidence that, oh, we just, we believe in the face of no evidence, we're going to believe anyway. No evidence, or sorry, faith has its essence in the faithfulness of God. That actually faith is a gift. We, we sang this and worshiped this, worshiped God with this story of this progression of God's unfolding faithfulness. Is there any reason for any of our human hearts to not have faith? And the answer is no. The faithfulness of God is all around us. He speaks to every one of us, and our hearts are to respond. It's to respond. Faith, more than anything, is a response. But the very essence of creation comes from the very speech of God. Think of this. Now, we're thinking about this story, this, the way God spoke to Joseph through a dream. But he speaks to everyone throughout history. Throughout human history, God's encountering people. And he's speaking. He's a personal God. He's not just a force. He's a God who blesses. He's a God who sees. He sees that it is good. And he's a God who speaks. Just think of that with me. Just, just for a moment, how God speaks. There's this progression of creating a universe, and then filling it with stars. How, how does God do it? He says, he speaks. That he creates a planet and fills it with animals. He creates an atmosphere and fills it with birds and fills it with air. He creates a human being and he fills him with his spirit. How does he do that? By speaking, there's a connection. Listen, this is so hard to communicate. There's a connection between who God is and what he says. It cannot be severed. It is impossible for God to lie. That when God says it, it is. It becomes. This is the preciousness of God speaking to our hearts. 
His willingness to speak to our hearts. His desire to speak to our hearts. That he speaks to his creatures. He speaks to Adam. He speaks to Eve. He speaks to them. And he says, he says of all, all these trees, you can eat of all of them. Except for this one. And he says, he's saying this, God is saying this, this faithful God, this faithful creator, this faithful lover of our soul is saying, you can eat of all these trees, but of this one, you shall not eat or you will surely die. How does does God communicate to Adam? He says it. But that is God breathing into Adam and Eve this capacity to be made in God's image. That when God says this, he's creating this sense of morality, this sense of right and wrong. Now, Adam and Eve, they don't fully understand this but their hearts and their lives have received the faithfulness of God for years and years. That when God says this, this happens. But for some reason, God's speech, his word, is questioned. What does does the devil do? He steps into their lives and he says, has God really said? Wow, wow. Has God really said? Now now we're, we're, we're getting to the root of the issue, the root of our problem, the root of our sin. Has God really said? And will things really turn out the way God said he would Cause them to turn out. Have you ever been tempted? Have you ever been tempted that things aren't going to work out? Things won't be the way God promised or the way God blesses. But see, Joseph, he lives through such testing and tempting to not trust God's promise. Not, not, not trust that God's good. For some reason, God has been so good, so amazing, but now he's somehow turned bad. Has he really said? Think about what the devil's actually striking at. It's the, I don't mean to get too theological, but He's striking at the doctrine of judgment. You'll not surely die. There's no accountability. There's no consequences. And then I wonder within my own soul how I have minimized God's word, God's promise. That says, when God says, Do it this way. You know, when God said, eat of all the trees, but this one, 
don't eat of it. They didn't fully understand why they should not eat of it. They just knew that God said, you're going to die. Because God intended them to trust him. That all of the eternal universe that God wants to unfold for us is going to take faith, a relationship, trusting, continue to trust him. We don't understand first. We trust him. We continue to trust him. What will we always need to do? Trust him. Trust him. Not based on no evidence, but based on, based on an infinite amount of evidence. That God's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of our loyalty. And then now we can begin to see how this cuts and damages and wounds the very heart of God when Adam and Eve refuse to trust him. Like, it's, it's beyond. But what we're speaking about is, is God's speech, his word. He says, and what he says can be trusted because it's impossible for him to lie. That is the very connection between his words and his ontology, his way of being the very perfections of God, it comes out in his speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, is the way Jesus said it. Well, out of the abundance of the heart of the triune God, he speaks. And it's perfect. And it's trustworthy. And it's massively beautiful. But now we're stuck in this broken, chaotic, crazy world. Let me say this. Uh, let me put this scripture up. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Have you, have you noticed as we go through these stories... There's a lot of famine going on. There's a lot of desert. Is that what God intended at the beginning? No, he created everything good and filled it with food, filled it with the ability for people to be sustained by his faithfulness. But now we come to Noah. We come to Abraham. And there's this recurring reality of famine, famine, Isaac's famine, Jacob's famine, Joseph. What is he called to deal with? A famine that was going to take effect on the entire planet. We just read those verses in chapter 50. That there's a famine that God was going to send a man. His name's Joseph, a prisoner, a slave, taken from the prison to the palace. And there's a process there. We'll, we'll, we'll get into it. 
But it's this call to trust God, trust God, trust Him. Because He's so trustworthy. We read this verse, Scott read this in, from, from the gospel. This is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, into the famine. Keep those, keep those ideas, those thoughts, those, those patterns, those biblical image, this bi biblical imagery in your mind as we read this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. What happened in the beginning? What was Adam and Eve tempted to do? And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Much could be said there, but for the sake of time, verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him. Now here's the lie, the introduction of the lie. If you are the son of God, what's he's attacking? His identity. What, what, what is the greatest attack in your life? Your identity. That you're valuable. That you're loved. That you're provided for. That things will work out. Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered and said, it is written. Here's God's word. Here's God's speech. It's impossible for God to lie. That man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds, proceeds, that comes from the mouth of God. That God is continually speaking. And out of what, and the, the source he speaks from is his very perfection. Again, it's hard to describe. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around. But it's, it's, it's this very essence of God. He cannot and will never be detached from his word, from his speech. Why are lies so deadly in our relationships? <laughs> Talk about the pain that lies bring into our lives. Have you told a lie? Has somebody told lies to you? How damaging is that? It, it strikes at the very essence of us being made in the image of God. We were created to tell the truth. To tell the truth to one another. And how that damages, how that breaks us deeper than we know. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. Let me just, as we kind of wrap things up here, and again, there's way too much for us to, but this is just the beginning of Joseph's story. Um, the story of promise and blessing that's passed down, handed down from generation to generation. What did Abraham believe? What did Isaac believe? What did Jacob believe? What did Joseph come to believe? It wasn't his own independent story. It wasn't him, you know, finding himself, discovering himself, self-help, confusion. It was 
Joseph finding himself in the story of God and what the, what the devil meant for evil, what evil people, what people filled with brokenness and, and despair meant for evil, God meant for good. His redemptive power, it, it, it can't be explained, but it can be received by faith. Our minds may not fully understand it, but our hearts can deeply receive it. This is Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. That's what we're talking about. These patriarchs, these fathers of the faith, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. This is a massive story, the story of Jesus. It is the story. It's the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to every book to every character to every circumstance. It's all about Jesus. Has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word, by the speech of his power. And when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. What a beautiful, beautiful set of scriptures that God speaks to us through Jesus. This is the ultimate speech. This is the ultimate reality. Who is Jesus? What has he done? What has he come to do? And God's reuniting us to that. Restoring us, reconciling us back into what he has always intended is for us to be children made in his image. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, it says, For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Remember how many times and, and, uh, and when God would reveal who Jesus is, the Father, the heavens would open, he said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. His life, his death, and his resurrection speaks eternally, powerfully, unendingly, redemptively. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. When we say we believe in Jesus, what does that mean? What does it mean? We're going to take communion today. What does it mean to say that you believe in the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus this story is informing us. This is, this is helping us connect ourselves with reality. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Do we feel shame? Do you feel shame? Do I feel shame at, at, at times? That's our hearts and our minds being disconnected from the reality of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon his name. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whose words are those? Greg's words? Pastor Greg's words? Dr. Greg's words? Is it Paul's words? Or is it God's word? That it is impossible for God to lie. So when God says, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I don't feel saved. I don't think I'm saved. What are we tempted to do? To not trust. When our hearts get a revelation that God cannot lie. That when we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, we shall be saved. We're trusting the very essence and heart of God. If, if not believing God's word caused us to fall into this chaos and this famine and this sinfulness... What could believing God's word do? Could it not raise us up? Can it not lift us up? Can it not breathe life back into us? And that's how we get born again. That's how I got born again. That's how you got born again. Is when we, we say, Whoever shall, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do we dare to believe? And this revelation comes, and God gives us this sweet assurance, this sweet confirmation, this sweet conviction that his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Let me pray. Let me pray. If you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. He's knocking on the door of your heart. He's knocking on the door of every one of our hearts to continue to receive the word that's proceeding from his mouth, that we live by it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that is proceeding from the mouth of God. We are sustained by his breath. We are sustained by his power, by his speech. He's upholding all things by the word of his power. He's upholding your life right now. He's upholding it by the word of his power. He's allowing each one of us to love him back, to kiss him back, to to receive his faithfulness and respond in faith to him. So if you need to respond, if you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I, I want to pray a prayer. And if you pray this prayer, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us, info at New and Living Way, and let us know that you made Jesus the Lord of your life. But this is the prayer. This is the connection to reconnect with the faithfulness of God. Just say, Jesus... I need you. I repent of my sin. 
I ask you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I receive you. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. And empower me to become the person that you want me to become. This is true, sweet, holy communion where our hearts find its rest in God, our identity. That with one breath of God, <sighs> this song that we sang, with one breath of God, a billion failures disappear. That's how powerful the sacrifice of Jesus is. That's how big it is. And that's what he speaks over us. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise you, Jesus. We're going to take communion here today.